Hi, everyone. This is director Nick Sanford. You're listening to the Good Drash Genre Cast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. But don't follow us in real life, because we've had problems with that before. Yippee-ki-yay, mother... Good Trash Genre Cast. Listen to me! You look like a... What? Radioactive tampon. It wasn't supposed to be like a... Banana with a yeast infection. How did I come to this? Not again. I played Richard III. Five curtain calls. There were five curtain calls. I was an actor once. Damn it, now look at me. Look at me! I can't go out there, and I want to say that stupid line one more time. I got, I got shorts, every fucking color. I got designer t-shirts. Who cares about the goddamn dance chip? I do. I ordered your corsage. It's an orchid. It was like twelve dollars. If it means anything now, I am so sorry. It's just instinctive. It's my bad. I was never a very good practical joker. So do you have any regrets? <laughs> Garfield, maybe. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we talk about the films that you'll never discuss in a film studies course, and yet we apply film studies analysis Anyway, we're gathered here talking about the movie Twister, which is a documentary about the children's board game slash uh, calisthenics game. And uh, we're very, very excited to be talking about that today. Let's identify the disembodied voices, beginning with our guest host, award-winning filmmaker. If you would, sir, go right on ahead. Hi, I'm Nick Sanford, and how close do you have to get talk to me? Very good, very good. Thank you very much to the Extreme Ride, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and it's true what you've heard. It's like the finger of God. <laughs> All right. Uh, to my uh, slightly less right, if you would, Bam. My name's Alexander Bohannon, and you used to tell me you chase tornadoes. Deep down, I just thought it was a metaphor. My name is Dustin Sells, and all I have to say is there will be great ruage. And I'm so glad to be with you all here talking about the film Twister. And uh, again, dear listener, we need to warn you, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. There will be spoilerific spoiler ridges. You'll find out who won the game of Twister. Darn those blue dots. And uh, we'll find more about that here in just a little bit. Left hand on yellow is a real motherfucker. Man, it'll get you every time. But what we'll do is we'll give a quick synopsis from the voice of the cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon, who is um, only serving production duties today. And then we'll have our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews from our roundtable of co-hosts. After that point, we will get into analysis and there will be spoilers. Spoilers at that point. You have been warned. So let's begin now with that synopsis from The Voice of Cinema. If you would, sir. Bill and Joe Harding, advanced storm chasers on the brink of divorce, must join together to create an advanced weather alert system by putting themselves in the crosshairs of extremely violent tornadoes. Well, that's accurate. That's that's <laughs> what happens. It's such a great synopsis until in the brink on the brink of divorce gets thrown into it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, which is what four words in, but yeah, indeed, indeed. It was and and three of those were their names, right? So there you go, dear listener. Now you know what the movie's about. If you've been living under a rock and haven't happened to have seen this particular film, let's begin with those quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. I ask you first, Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you? I mean, it's this is an extremely watchable movie. If you want to put something on. Um, 
that you don't necessarily need to pay attention to, but want to check in and out of and be in, and enjoy it in the process. I think that's definitely um, the purpose of this film. This isn't high art cinema. This isn't, um, you know, pinky out type film viewing. There are some, I think just like some weird tone issues with this, with especially considering some of the score choices. Oh my God. Um, there's some, so many strange tone choices in this, this movie. movie. Yeah. Um, oh, there's God. some, uh, I really enjoyed the cast. The cast is great. I, it was so weird seeing Philip Seymour Hoffman, not top build. Um, he was like third or fourth on that. And then just some other familiar faces as well. Um, overall, it's, it's a pretty solid movie. I, I know there are some issues with it. And of course, you know, there's nothing I could critique too much besides that, um, Tornadoes make things um, inexplicably, inexplicably spontaneously combust if you take them into the the twister. <laughs> um, that I'd say that's the biggest factual thing. But overall, it's it's a fine movie. I don't know if I feel like ever watching it again, but you know, pretty entertaining for you know blockbuster fare. So that's about what I'd give it. Thank you very much, Mr. Alexander Bohan and Mr. Nick Sanford. What say you in terms of review? I think Twister is. And I'm not exaggerating when I say this. The Oklahoma Casablanca. That is the most perfect film that has ever been based around Oklahoma. I saw this when I was six years old. It started my fascination with tornadoes, which has continued today. It has also started my fascination with blockbuster viewing. I love this film more than I love most of my family members. I give Twister 18, killing yourself won't bring your dad backs out of 18. Thank you very much, Mr. Awesome. Nick Sanford. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say in terms of review? I don't care what he says. <laughs> I mean, Nick's right. This this is probably the most perfect depiction of Oklahoma on film that exists. Yes, I would agree. The problem is there's not very many. Um, the only other one I can think of off the top of my head that's set like entirely in Oklahoma is Where the Heart Is, uh, which features the only thing Oklahoma is more familiar with than tornadoes, and that's Babies Born in Walmart. Yeah. Um, so that's um, kind of, but you know, that's a film that's like, isn't Oklahoma so country and folksy? Uh, th- this movie seems to have a, <clears throat> a a real appreciation for Oklahoma that a lot of other films that I've seen set here don't. Yes, uh, John Devon really, I think, did a really good job of capturing small town Oklahoma and not and not in a pandering way or, or a, aren't they so uh, cute folksy, and folksy yeah. uh, and dumb and country? It, it, you know, it it captured small town Oklahoma without talking down to it. Uh, which is something that is really impressive. And it gets Oklahoma right, which uh, another tornado film, Into the Storm, does not do it all. It has a fire tornado. There's a fire tornado in that movie. It's fabulous. But it's also set in a town called Silverton. Uh, there's no Silverton in Oklahoma because there's no goddamn silver There would here. never be a Silverton, Oklahoma. No, because we don't have any silver. Um, if you directed Into the Storm, I want to hurt your butt. You loved that movie and you know it. Uh, <laughs> I was there when you saw it. Uh this movie made $500 million worldwide. Really? Did anybody else know that? No. That was crazy to me. It's the second highest grossing movie of 1996, right behind Independence Day. Oh, well, that's That's insane to me. To put, it, to put it into modern perspective, a movie like Dark Knight Rises or The Second Avengers sold the exact same amount of tickets as Twister. Whoa. Yeah. Adjusted for inflation, it's a huge movie. Which, again, was really surprising to me. Uh, it's kind of cool to me that a really mostly personal story about people chasing tornadoes connected with the audiences so well. I'm not wild about it. I've got three words for you, though. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. He is 
the best thing in this movie. In his old school um, boomer sumer baseball cap there. Uh, he's so he's just so great in this movie. Every line he says is magic gold. Uh and, and it just goes to show you what a talent we're we're missing out on. Uh I'll, I'll say this, Bill Paxton driving through that house is about the hardest I've ever laughed in a movie. I thought that was so cool. That was You're so right. cool. It is so cool. It's the hardest I've ever laughed. That uh, moment is very much a game over, man. Game over yes, moment. Yes, I, I kept quoting uh, Bill Paxton's lines from Aliens while we were watching this. Of just course. Because why wouldn't you? Uh, how do I get out of this chicken shit outfit? Yeah, uh, the list goes on. I, er, otherwise, other than the, the, you know, the specifics, I wanted to, to point out things that I appreciate about it. I'm probably in the same boat as Alex. I don't see myself, you know, flying boat, a boat flying down the road. That is a thing that we see. Uh, I, I don't, I don't see myself uh, going back to revisit this too often. Um, it's, it's a fine, it's a fine movie. Uh, it's fun. It, it is infinitely silly. There are weird tonal issues. Uh, that opening sequence uh, is supposed to be really moving and like sad, and it's just really stupid. Overall, it's, it's perfectly fine. I'm glad I watched it. Uh, I don't know how much I'm going to find myself wanting to watch it again. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mr. Donald Stewart. I think the movie's also quite a lot of fun. It's really fun to watch. I, I come and watch it again pretty much every April, May, and every year because I live in Oklahoma and I'm dodging tornadoes because I don't chase them. I just live here. Nobody and in this movie dodges a tornado. In fact, they insist on staying right in the middle of it yes. several times. Which is quite foolish. And that's not how storm changers behave and sort of no. realism and plausible um, believability and all that sort of stuff out the window. But it's a movie. I mean, what do you expect? That's not how gladiators thought in Gladiator. It's just not how things go. Deal with it, right? How does uh, that therapist never seen a tornado in her life? I know. She clearly has an Oklahoma accent. Yeah. yeah. Maybe she's, well, yeah. I I, I, I don't understand. Well, have, you ever, have you ever been in a car right next to a tornado? It's pretty scary. I mean, she acted like she's never seen one before, though, which was just really strange to me. Yeah, so, I mean, there's that. The thing that's really fun for me watching this movie is all the uh, support cast that, that the film has uh, for each of the two uh, main tornado-chasing teams. They're all composed of that guys. Yes. And uh, yep. that's always really, really fun One of watch. the that guys is Rickety Cricket from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. One of right. those that guys is Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and yet another one of those guys is the uh, the guy who sees the scary monster behind the Winkies in Mulholland Drive. We could go on and on. Yes, yes, it was. It made me That's so. That's where I recognize that yeah, guy. I, love I was that. Just like, what? I, lo- I love him so he has much. Those weird buggy eyes he's got the biggest eyebrows and the eyebrows ever had. to go yeah. with them yes so that's very fun i like the movie a lot i think it's lots of fun and it's a movie that i watch at least once a year uh around springtime when tornadoes are coming so there you go dear listener now you know where we're coming from and our biases uh pro and con towards the film but we're here to get down to business guys it's business time it's business it's business time And that business in question, dear listener, as always, is analysis. And so I go to you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What analysis bring you? Uh, well, it it happens occasionally on the show where, where we all watch a movie uh, and then text each other afterwards and say, what the hell are we going to talk about? But I will say this uh, about Twister. It has one of the more interesting depictions of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder I think I've, I've seen in a while. Uh, which, you know, outside of war film is not something we see addressed in film 
quite too often. We don't we don't really see civilian post traumatic stress disorder uh, portrayed on film that often. And Helen Hunt really gives a great performance in this movie. She gives a great performance in basically every movie she's ever done. I, I adore her as an actress. But but when she's looking at the tornado uh, or tornadoes, uh, there's just this real look in her eye that I I'm very impressed with. It. She does a lot of acting with her face in this. It's you know not too broad. It's very subtle, and, and I really appreciate this film basically being about her i mean she gets top billing over paxton and this film really is in a lot of ways about her struggling to overcome her issues um you know that she still has from seeing her father die right in front of her and by the end of the film uh she she seems to have finally kind of come to terms with this death wish she seems to have i mean throughout the film it's very clear uh she does have some sort of a death wish or at the very least total disregard for her own safety um, and by the end of the film, she finally gets what she wants. She wants to be inside of one. Um, she wants to kind of connect with her father in that way. I mean, growing up without him, she keeps looking back on this one event, this final moment she had with him and seeing him just phew, gone uh, before her eyes. And again, every time her and Paxton come across a tornado, she's dumbstruck. She cannot move most of the time um, unless somebody else is in immediate danger. Uh, and I, I was really struck by that. I, I think it's a very moving depiction. I think it's a very interesting depiction. And I think it's very important uh, that we show that, you know, something as commonplace as the loss of a parent can really have a profound and long-lasting impact on your life and, and can really uh, force you to struggle uh, throughout your life. Uh, again, post-traumatic stress disorder is not something that is only located on a battlefield. I mean... Life is full of painful moments that can scar us no matter, you know, where that pain comes from. Uh, and to see a blockbuster film uh, showing someone dealing with that I thought was really moving and uh, something I really appreciate a whole lot. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I appreciate that analysis. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what bring you? Well, I chose the opening quote that I did about, um, you know, deep down I thought chasing tornadoes is just a metaphor because this movie is a simply is simply and essentially a fatalist uh, metaphor for life. And and it's not just a metaphor for life and um, existence, but it's also kind of a godless metaphor as well. Uh, because essentially you're assigned a role. Your role may be, you know, someone that's chasing the action, someone that's really in doing all this outlandish stuff, or you might be just kind of standing by the sidelines. Um, you know, you may be very wealthy. You might have a lot of resources at your disposal. You might be very poor and not have a lot of those resources. But ultimately, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to the universe because in this universe of the film, there is no God. It, there, it's just nature and the force of nature. Um, it doesn't matter to the universe your situation, your circumstances, because whenever it's your time to go, it's your time to go. And then that's it. I mean, that's all that happens to you. Um, I was really, really struck by how Carrie Elwes's character dies. He dies. Like he gets a, a, some kind of like corn structure to hit this truck in the middle of his windshield, and then gets swept under the tornado. So there's no question. And then blows up. That and then, and is then it, dead. And then it blows the fuck up. Yes. They kill him and his driver kill the really hard. This movie yeah. wants them to pay for their sins. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I was really shocked by that, um, by that completely, because... Whenever watching the film, I'm like, Carrie Car- is supposed to be this bad guy. He does it very well. You know, all this stuff. But he doesn't necessarily seem ultimately bad. Ult- 
they're both questing after the same goal. They're both trying to save people. This guy is just maybe a little more douchey in going about it. Um, you know, and he might be a little more self-serving in going about it. But, you know, there's a lot of weathermen and a lot of people are self-serving and still do great things with their lives. So, it, I mean, fate doesn't really care about your wealth or happiness. If it's your time to go, it's your time to go. The same uh, issue for Helen Hunt character's father. It was his time to go, and he and he went. And so in this world of Oklahoma, as depicted in the film, and in this world that is depicted in the film totally, um, it's pretty godless, bleak interpretation, which is very strange considering you brought up the uh, the choral scoring during all this tornado sequence. Dustin brought that up, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, all these really, like, churchy kind of, like, whoa, kind of score moments. Um, you know, are we supposed to be revering this tornado? Is Is this force of nature supposed to be... The God in this film, I, I don't necessarily... The finger of God. The finger of God. It, it seems to me like the God of this film is the God of the philosophers, the capricious, distant, removed exactly. God who just exacts judgment, uh, again, capriciously, um, randomly, and uh, not not anything to do with uh, the gods of the major world religions, which is typically much more relational. Right, and, that, and that's kind of the view I took about it, because, you know, the universe you know me saying the wider universe choosing and fate and kismet that's kind of the philosopher's view of god is you know very very distant and you know pretty disengaged from people whenever they're you know crying out for help and it's just it was very interesting to me to look at this film using that lens because while there might not be a lot of um, a lot of subtext as we discussed, I think that this overarching metaphor is kind of a, a good framework to look at this film. And and even though it's a lot of fun and and, and endlessly entertaining, um, it, it does have a quite a bit of darkness to it, um, especially in terms of like humanity and your existence on this planet, and especially death. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon, Mister Nick Sanford, chooser of the film. And guest host of the day, what analysis bring you? Watching this the other night, it was, I don't know, it just, it really, there were many times where, because I watched it with a group of friends, including Dalton, we wa- there were many times where we, kept, where we kept saying, I miss when they used to do this or that or whatever, like, oh, we're not going to do a thing, and then it cuts to them doing the thing. They do that like three times in so this movie. So good, and each one of them is so funny. Yeah, they don't yeah, you know, they don't do that in big blockbusters anymore. They don't build up. And that's and that's kind of what watching it it made me sort of kind of lament or whatever that the 90s were kind of the last truly great decade for blockbusters. Blockbusters back then were a lot more unique. They were a lot because okay, the top grossing movie of 1994 was Forrest Gump. The two highest grossing films of 96 Hold on. Yeah, okay, yeah. From 94 to 96, it was Forrest Gump, and then 95, I think, had... I don't remember what the top-grossing movie that was, but then 96, it was Independence Day and Twister. That's a lot of different movies making a lot of money. Nowadays, it's all superhero movies and all, you know, whatever the crap they're doing Young now. adult novels and, yeah. and sequels and... Fast and Furious 10. Yeah. Well, yeah, like the big, the, the, the big, big grocers. I don't know, just well, back even then, back to 93, I mean, you've got Jurassic Park. I Jurassic mean, Park. They're all things that Lion are... King. Which, again, is based on a pre-existing novel. Uh, but still, I, I totally get what you're saying. That there's a lot more personality and a lot more uniqueness. There is, and, and not only that, 
Jan DeMont, who got his start in a film called Roar, I'm not going to go into it, but if you've... We've talked about it a lot okay. on this show. It's, yeah. the, it's the second best movie ever after Twister, let me tell you. He's, best film, or best it, experience. These John, are going beyond films. Jan DeMont uh, has a great filmography as a cinematographer, by the way. This is yes, a man he that, started, Yeah, he started off as a cinematographer in the 80s. and Die Hard, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Die Hard. And, and he was also once scalped by a lion. He was he got scalped and bit in the head by a lion, which is which would make him crazy enough to make a movie about tornadoes. But but just even just the action scenes in Twister are so much they're staged perfectly. Like the first it, I was watching uh, it was kind of an accident, but I was watching Close Encounters this morning and I only got halfway through it, but it kind of reminded me, which I mean makes some sense because you know Spielberg had a hand in Twister, especially, you know, his Amblin logo is on it. But just, like, the yellow trucks that they both have, I thought was kind of a weird similarity that I didn't, you know, that I wouldn't have otherwise noticed. And just how clean the set pieces were to look at. Because nowadays, it's, you know, it's just all insanity when you watch an action yeah. set piece. But in this... They're clean. There's a, You could... Yeah, yeah, it's very clearly... And they were both edited by Michael Kahn. No one gives a shit except me. But... You know, like when they when they're driving into the ditch, you know, when they're experiencing the first tornado, it is so they don't cut back to the same shot more than once. It's all you know, it's always a different shot. It's always well composed. The camera's not moving around a whole lot. It's not flopping. There are a handful of shots in this where it's a handheld and it'll sort of whip pan over to a tornado, but it's kind of more human POV. But generally, the shots are pretty locked. They're pretty cleanly composed. And they're just cut together really, really, really smoothly. And I just, I don't know, I miss that. I there's, miss there, that. There's a very clear sense of stakes and location. And you, yes, you, you have like a texture. There's, you have a clear very, sense of geography. Exactly. What is which it? a lot of, most movies nowadays, I, yeah. which I hate to sound like that guy. Who, well, well, this just used to be better. But. Well, it's like Michael Bay when you don't really know what's happening. Yeah. They build up to everything. That's, yes. that's the thing that I miss most about those old movies that, you know, kind of Spielberg and Lucas sort of started in the mid to late 70s that they kind of perfected in the 90s and then in the 2000s. I don't know what happened. But, but in the 90s, I mean, they really were in the 90s. I mean, that was the perfect time because CGI was still new enough that they could use it sparingly and effectively without it being just, you know, this overwhelming, you know, turning into a cartoon. And so they were kind of taking, even Spielberg himself, they were taking the blockbuster models that they started in the late 70s and into the early 80s, and they were kind of standing on the shoulders of giants, kind of taking it to the next level, which is why you had so many awesome, different, unique blockbusters in the 90s. Apollo 13, that would never get made today. But that was like one of the highest grossing movies of 95. And it, and it's not even an action movie. I mean, it's some guys in space, also starring Bill Paxton. But that just, that wouldn't get made, you know, that... Uh, like all of the big movies of the '90s, I don't think would happen nowadays. I mean, yeah, we got a Twister movie like last year, End of the Storm, but it was you know a low budget, rinky dink, you know, goofy, whatever that was. They didn't monstrous know, piece of shit. They didn't they didn't put you know huge international star Helen Hunt in it, and that just I don't know. I, I, I it, it it seems like that's kind of a loss nowadays. I mean, there are a handful of movies that you know I think kind of continue that but i just i don't know i really miss how clean set piece and even i mean we we're making fun of it but like at the end whenever they're in the tornado and it's like this religious experience that i mean i love that that is it's one of the most uh, it's stupid to say but it's one of the most moving things i've ever seen when you get to see especially being from oklahoma i kind of feel like twister is sort of a secret handshake between oklahomans i mean i know a bunch of people who weren't born here and don't live here and they just don't get the movie at all 
But that's that's my thing. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Nick Sanford. The analysis I want to bring is in terms of genre mashup because uh, the setting being in Oklahoma, and I want to read this film to an extent as a Western, and I want to read huh. a, particular, a particular character in the film, Bill Pax's character. Who has cowboy boots. Who has cowboy boots, but he is a magic Native American. Yeah, he is. In this film. <laughs> yeah. And as you know from Tonto and other you know, stereotypical magic minorities. Billy, Billy from Predator, who we yeah. mentioned a few weeks ago. Or, or, or Billy Jack himself. Yeah. All the Indians are called Bill. I'm just pointing that out. And thank you for bringing up Billy from Predator. You're welcome. That's precisely that. Now, I want to say that what Bill has tried to do is civilize himself and leave the tribe. That the, the tornado hunters themselves are this sort of ragtag bag of gy- ba- band of gypsies. Bag of gypsies? Ragtag jag of death. You, you, you want a bag of gypsies? I get your bag of gypsies. <laughs> Sounds like some sort of drug reference. They have understand. those in Altus. Yes. Lots of ba- lots of gypsy bags in Altus. Let me I, tell you, I don't, I don't actually doubt that at all. Mm. But they are themselves. You know, they're on the outside of civilization. With Carrie Ellis's um, group <laughs> being very much a uh, pioneering, civilizing sort of uh, Western expansion imperialist mm-hmm. tribe. You know, of of you know white people coming into the the story, and what Bill's Blowing trying up. to do is, is is marry a white woman. They're driving Dodge caravans. And yeah, he can't do it. He, he 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 cannot do it. And of course, as a Native American, he is very much in touch with nature. He can sense and know what the tornado is doing. Again, sort of the magic Indian tracker sort of things. And what he's done as an Indian tracker is he's done what Indian trackers do when they sell out is that they use their skills for civilization. In this case, by becoming a weatherman rather than uh, you know serving the you know the uh, the George Armstrong Custer's army, so to speak. And, uh, you know, he's doing this sort of thing. And it's him wrestling with his identity as a person and trying to find his way in. Now, Dusty's, again, uh, there's, there's a great moment. You know, Dusty's got a bus that he drives around in. Barn burner. Barn burner, which is a Native American slur. And, and it's... I hear my grandpa say it quite often. It's, it's, it's not nice um, at all. It's not kind in any way. And the film is fundamentally Tonto and the Lone Ranger, Helen Hunt being the Lone Ranger. And just like in those Lone Ranger stories, uh, Tonto is sort of the Lone Ranger's husband or manservant, if you will. And he does everything he can to serve and take care of her and protect her and, and nurse her back to health using his Indian magics. And that is fundamentally what's happening throughout this film. But what they've done narratively in constructing his character is they've created a, a magic Native American by setting it in Oklahoma, which is, of course, um, you know, Indian territory formerly. And they're they're making use of those sort of things. And he's Native American and Indian as a pass through, in so much as Chuck Norris is Cherokee, which is balderdash. And uh, and I don't mind saying that Chuck Norris jokes aside. And that's that's kind of what the film is doing is in terms of his narrative tropes. Now, interestingly, Helen Hunt's um, also uh, this. Her aunt look. Seems, oh, she's a shaman. Yeah, she's yeah. a medicine woman. Yeah, it, I mean, you know, she's got all the big wisdom. You know, oh, you were, he was supposed to pine for you for the end of time. Like so she speaks in for, fortune cookie wisdom, right? Yeah. As, as all magic minorities tend to do, and so she is the old aged magic grandmother. And uh, so the, the film is using that particular tropology, if I can create a neologism, yep. and doing that in such a way to connect it to the only genre that really grounds itself in Oklahoma in any way, which is the Western. And so I find that to be narratively interesting and also sort of racial, politi- politically um, suspect in a lot of ways. <laughs> but I, My brain know. just shit its pants. Yeah, mine too. Oh my God. 
but I mean, you know, it's, I mean, when no, he, I like it. And, and as a Native American person, you know, Bill Car- Bill Bill Paxton's character in opposition to Kelly, Carrie Elwes's character is much more physical. He's much more nature in tune. You know, he tries to start a fist fight with him, and Carrie Elwes is cerebral and distant, and basically European white. And I mean, literally European white. Super, super, super white. I tell you what, anymore now he's just red and charred black. Because uh. <laughs> the car blew up. Yeah, yeah. it took me a second. Well, I would want to say in conclusion is that with this reading, what, what, what Twister does is it turns storm chasing into the westward expansion of science and commerce mm-hmm. into something that's much more organic and somewhat magic. And I find that, again, just to be interesting and slightly suspect politically. So there you have it, dear listener. Thank you, dear co-hosts, for that really, really fascinating analysis. Uh, We come now to a point in the show where we must render a verdict. We must select shelf or trash. And based upon that selection, we recommend it else or instead. And I begin with you, Mr. Nick Sanford. What say you? As I said earlier, I have a poster of this in... (laughs) In my kitchen at my apartment, a bit, and it's like, and it's a unique poster. It's not like the Helen Hunt, you know, Bill Paxton, like running that you always see. It's like, it's just a Jeep driving toward a tornado. Um, so yeah, it's okay. No, uh, definitely on the shelf. Else or instead, else, I have a couple. They're both by the same director. Dalton's gonna roll his eyes. I don't give a shit. The first else would be Dark Knight Rises because, like Twister, it has a main character who's really self-destructive and just wants to die for 95% of it and then finds the will to live in the last 5%. The other one is Interstellar, which also features a crazy southern man driving through a cornfield in his Dodge pickup truck. Those are my two else's. Thank you very much, Mr. Nick Sanford. I kept my eye rolling to a minimum. Thank you for that also, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what say you? Um, I... I think that people should watch this film, certainly because if you're going to watch a film that depicts Oklahoma, this is the film to watch. I think the stereotypes don't really come into play besides like, you know, the narrative trope reading that uh, Dustin gave. But all, all, overall, I think this film is definitely something you should watch. Should you own it? Uh, that's that's a personal preference. I tend to not own movies, so I'd say stream it. So there you go on that. Um, overall, I'd probably give it... Um, 31 um, great Philip Seymour hairstyles out of a possible uh, 45. So that's my rating there. And then I would also recommend for you to watch um, Else. Maybe try The Day After Tomorrow um, for that kind of big tier destruction type film. And then last year, in terms of a blockbuster, I'd recommend Godzilla um, 2014. Um yeah, so that's a, you know, you love those big spectacle, destructy kind of kind of movies and, you know, both blockbusters. So there you go. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohan and Mr. Dalton Stewart. What say you? Shelf or trash? And then you're else or you're instead? Well I, hard- <clears throat> well, I hardly think it's shelfable. I also, you know, wouldn't subject it to the trash um, because I've given much worse films uh, than Twister or Pass on this show. Um, it's, it's very watchable. It's very entertaining. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's very silly uh, and good for a laugh. Um, and, and also it is very well shot, and, and there are moments of genuine suspense that I, I found very affecting. Um, but I can't recommend you own it. Uh, at, at any rate, um, uh, I give it 18 giant plates of steak and eggs out of a possible 35. Oh, that looks so yummy. Mm. Um, for, for recommended pairings, uh, I would check out Jaws, uh, 
because Helen Hunt is basically Quint from Jaws in this film. Yes, um, that is true. Uh, and and also this Twister's movie in the sky, Chief. Yeah, Twister just skips straight to Twister for the revenge because it's actively hunting her and trying to kill her. Uh, and then the Sharknado thing, you know, that kind of works well with it. The... It just um, it, it does capture a lot of that same thing of you know man versus nature or woman versus nature in this case, and uh, having a grudge against something that has no opinion. Uh, that is merely an unfeeling uh, killing machine of nature. Uh, so check that out. I think there's some fun symmetry between Twister and Jaws. Uh, also, we were talking before we recorded, and uh, Arthur happened to bring up The Grapes of Wrath, which is just a great film about Oklahomans and the Oklahoman experience uh, and, and the history of the state. Um, so I would really recommend uh, that. Grapes of Wrath is just a phenomenal film. And, and those are my picks for uh, Elser instead with Twister. Thank you very much, Mr. Donald Stewart. I am going to go ahead and say Shelf. I think it is a shelfable film. I, I think it's fully watchable. I think it's fully entertaining. I think it's worth having um, just to put something on. It's one of those movies that, as Alex mentioned earlier, that you can put on a sort of check-in and check-out, and that's fine. And you can sit down and watch it all the way through, and it's also fine. Yeah. And it, it, I, I don't think it um, ever tires of viewing even though it is silly and fun, and there are sort of plausibility moments. And, of course, as Oklahomans, we sort of understand how tornadoes work a little bit better in this particular room. And so there are moments where we go, wait a minute. But even with those aside, I think it's totally, totally fun to watch. I think the cast is stellar. I think Dusty is brilliant, and it's just absolutely worth your time. My else recommendation, pairing off of the idea that uh, Dalton already put forward about uh, Quint, is that you ought to watch Gregory Peck's uh, Moby Dick in which we have Helen Hunt as Gregory Peck, and we have also Bill Paxton as Queequeg. And so th I think that symmetry is fun and exciting, and I think it'd be a good time to be had by you, and an exposure to 50 Cinema, and that's always good. And it's sort of a fun spectacle, Technicolor extravaganza for its time. Well, thank you, dear co-hosts, for those else's, and instead, uh, dear listener, your syllabus just got a little bit longer. We now come to a time where we talk about how you can be part of the conversation. You can recommend your else's or instead. You can talk about your analysis of Twister. And you can do that via those magical means that we all know as social media. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, do you know anything about those social media means by which conversations could be held? I sure do. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. So um, we have some interactions, I'd say. We've got, of course, a handful of likes and shares. Um, we have uh, Randall Blaze. He commented on one of our links when um, we did a throwback Thursday when we talked about how we did World War Z. So you should probably check out Shaun of the Dead, too, in our episode on that. And then he gave us an emoji heart. So thanks, Randall. Um, then, yeah, just more likes and, and shares and stuff. We really want to hear from you guys. So um, please, you know, Nick offered twister as um as a his as a pick as a listener so if you want picks as a listener then we'll, we'll consider those definitely thank you very much miss alexander bohannon mr dalton stewart do you know anything else about social media means by which conversations are held welcome to the suck zone you can find the good trash genre cast on twitter at good underscore trash uh we've got a little bit of feedback coming in this week it was a quick turnaround time in terms of recording uh but we do have some some new followers uh, one Don Westberger is now following us. I believe that's another uh, person on the internet who does media-related things. Uh, Alex Bohannon uh, tweeted out a follow Friday of local comedians, including the very funny Alex Sanchez, um, among a, a number of others. Uh, lots of retweets and favorites off of that, and a couple of new followers. 
most of them being those local comedians mentioned in that uh, Follow Friday. So that was that was nice. Um, also, a little bit of feedback from Caleb Masters uh, commenting on our game of Brad Pitt's finest moments from our World War Z episode. Uh, Caleb Masters uh, writes in to say, Where's the love for 12 monkeys? Pitt in any scene in that movie. Period. And uh, YouTube link to uh, some of Pitt's work in that film. Uh, I'm not a big fan of 12 monkeys. I think Laja Tay is probably a lot better. Uh, 12 Monkeys is fun, though. Um, Brad Pitt is acting very hard in that movie, and which isn't something that always sits well with me, I guess. But it is a fun performance, I, I guess. So thanks for that feedback, Caleb. Also, just want to mention a couple of other new followers. Uh, Casey and Mina, a couple of Oklahoma-based musicians. Jackson Curtin, another local comedian uh, who was mentioned in that Follow Friday. And uh, Robert Flippo. So thanks, everybody, for following us on Twitter. Appreciate that. Be sure to... Uh, if you've got uh, 140 characters or less worth of feedback, be sure to uh, let us know. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. We love hearing that feedback in all the ways that you can give it. You can also give comments at iTunes, Stitcher Internet Radio, and at the Podbean site itself, goodtrashhonorcast.podbean.com, from which all of this amazing oral stimulation uh, is uh, broadcast. We now move on, though, dear listener, because we're done doing this. It's time to play the game. This week's game, based on the fact that Twister is absolutely a spectacle film, is our favorite or recommended spectacle film picks. That's right. Favor or recommended spectacle film picks. Brought to you by Twister. Twister. Carrie Elwes blowing up in a Dodge Caravan is definitely a spectacle. Very true. Correct. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well, Dalton, since you've already been speaking, go ahead and give us your picks. Uh, I actually want to mention a film that, that Nick Sanford brought up earlier, and that's Apollo 13, uh, also featuring Bill Paxton, which, again, is a spectacle film. Uh, when I thought about spectacle films, I did try to avoid outright action movies uh, because th- there is a lot of crossover. It's a pretty big Venn diagram. But I wanted to think about things that were spectacular to view but weren't necessarily action uh, and Apollo 13 is a great example I mean it is a film that is from start to finish a visual uh, feast for the eyes uh, but what isn't really interested in um, you know thrilling you I, let me rephrase that it isn't necessarily so much interested in uh, thrilling for its own sake it is thrilling to show the human experience and you know uh, a great story of struggle and survival and triumph and really just a fabulous movie from Robert Zemeckis uh, one I like a whole whole lot Ron Howard Oh, fuck, you're right. Which is just a, a fabulous film from Ron Howard, one I like a lot. Great cast, Gary Sinise, Tom Hanks. I mean, just... Uh, Kathleen Quinn. And... It's just a, a fabulous movie. Um, I did want to give one shout-out to an action film, that's straight-up straight, straight up period action film, We're talking about 90s blockbusters, things that probably wouldn't get made today, and that's The Wachowskis' The Matrix, uh, a film we've talked yes. about on the show. Very uh, fun episode with me and Dustin. Also uh, Warner Brothers. Um, but, but again, The Matrix is... Uh, an absolutely perfect action film that is also full of big, gigantic spectacle. Uh, you think not not just the fight scenes, um, but also the scenes in the real world, and, and really just a, a visual effects masterpiece that uses a lot of uh, blending of digital and practical effects. Probably uh, one of the last films that got, uh, I, I mean, tons and tons of tons of computer-generated special effects shots in that film but also using a lot of practical effects as well. And I, you know, stunts, actual real Actual real-life human beings doing real-life crazy death-defying shit uh, and using uh, CGI to make it even crazier. Thank you very much, Mr. Dolan Mr. Nick Sanford, what are your spectacle picks? 
I know I've got this movie all up my ass, but I don't get a lot of chances to talk about it in public a lot. Interstellar came out last November. I think that's maybe the best spectacle of the last 10 years because, like Twister, it used a lot of practicals and then blended it with CGI. I mean, I'm bitching. They don't make movies like they used. Well, that is the one movie that they kind of recently that they made the way I, they used to I'd make. I'd certainly say it's the exception that proves a rule, probably. Yeah. Well, because I don't. It's it's like Twister and all those 90s blockbusters. It has. There's a very grounded sense. You can reach out and touch everything. Everything has weight. Everything has heft. Everything is lived in. And, yeah, I think if I had to pick one spectacle that came out recently, that would probably be it. Thank you very much, Mr. Dick Sanford. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what are your picks? I'm actually uh, – no, I've got more of a question, but here's here's a thought for you. Is Boyhood a spectacle film? Because that's interesting. Uh, because because it's technically feet. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, huh. if someone so say that the the director whose name escapes me say the director makes this film, he makes Boyhood, except he uses the age old Hollywood trope of casting different characters and it doesn't follow these same fourteen character uh, same characters for fourteen years. Would the film be still this feat? I don't think so. No, it so. wouldn't be. And, so and is, Linklater's, is it... Linklater's talked about that, and I think he would agree with you. He, yeah. he would say, I, I'm aware that one of the most interesting things about this movie is the way we made it. Yeah. Um, anyway, so if that counts, then there you go. Um, I also, instead of doing the what was your favorite spectacle movies thing, um, I also just thought of what movies need to be made. Um, and this one, th- this is a tiny soapbox, but I feel like, Oklahoma deserves its next natural disaster movie, and this time it'll be about the big earthquake that is <laughs> that is coming because of all of the fracking. Get the frack out of here! Yeah, um, that would be that would be poignant and uh, something that if it happened before the big one happens, which it will happen, then um, that will maybe serve as a kind of a warning device to people who consider that fracking is okay. So that's it. We're here. Well, thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bahannon. Now, I'm going to do something I never do, and I'm going oh. to laud something I never laud Oh, in terms of spectacle, and I want to talk about films in 3D because I do think there is something to that. And one of the, the first film I would name is Life of Pi, which absolutely is spectacular in every sense of the word, especially when experienced in 3D. And so I think it's totally worth your time in that way. And um, Arthur Gordon would kill me if I did not mention gravity at this point yeah. for the same sort of reason. Yeah, um, It's just – it's absolutely important and it's something to be said uh, for that. Now, I, I think you know there's something kitschy and gimmicky about 3D generally, and uh, these films managed to escape that to a lesser extent. Um, Martin Scorsese's Hugo does something similar. But um, – those those are two examples of this new technology being used um, that I do find to be spectacular. Now, in terms of spectacle in general, I have to do a little auteurism in the auteurism of spectacle, and I have to say one name, and that is Ridley Scott. Absolutely. Um, if you say Prometheus, if you say Alien, if you say Blade Runner, if you say Gladiator, the man knows how to do a period piece, the man knows how to do a science fiction piece, the man knows how to do any sort of piece and make it visually sumptuous to give it some grandeur and some scale in ways that's amazing. And again, as Dolph 
Dalton mentioned earlier, this idea of being lived in and this, the sense of reality that happens in those films. And so I, I think you can do no better than uh, in terms of auteurism uh, when it comes to spectacle than to look at the films of Ridley Scott. Uh, that was a fun game, guys. It was. Absolutely it is. Let's move on and conclude the show as we always do with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. So, beginning with our guest host for the night, uh, Mr. Nick Sanford, are you fired up this week? Um, I guess the only thing I'm fired up about, I saw a train wreck this morning. It wasn't a train wreck. I didn't think it was the best thing ever, ever, ever. I think it suffered from some things that all of Apatow's films suffer from, but it didn't really become apparent until his last couple, which is are a little too long. I mean, it's fine in 40-Year-Old Virgin and Knocked Up that, you know... They go on way longer than, you know, most comedies do. But Funny like, People's almost two and a half hours long. Do what? Funny People's almost two and a half hours long. And I I like Funny People. I love Funny it, People. My, my main problem, well, it's sort of become a problem. When I saw This is 40, most of the movies seemed like it could have been cut out. Like, that should have been like a 15-minute short. You know, it was just, I don't know. And I wonder, it seemed better with Trainwreck because, one, someone else wrote the script. Mm-hmm. And two, he's had a long, you know, he's had three years since his last film to sort of kind of not rediscover himself, but sort of, you know, prime himself up again in a way that he kind of hadn't been, you know, because his first three features were all just, you know, or his first four were, you know, or one after the other after the other. And so it, it was a little better than, you know, some of the problems that he's had. Uh, the camera actually moved. That was really cool to see the camera, you know, almost shit my pants because <laughs> he actually tracks with someone in a Judd Apatow film. And that was, uh, boy, that was, that was something. But, but generally, I like Trainwreck, and so that was my thing. Thank you very much, Mr. Nick Sanford. Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up this week? Uh, a little bit. Um, I finally finished Batman Arkham Asylum. Um, I'm not about to hunt down all those goddamn Riddler trophies, so I watched um, the uh, you know the super secret 100% endings online. Um, you know what? That's a big damn game, and it's it really is a lot of fun um, and probably one of the finest depictions of Batman anywhere on anything. Uh, I mean, it really is that good. Um, very moving uh, and really captures the mythos and does some very interesting things with it. Um, so I'm glad. It, it was an experience. It took me a long damn time to finish it, but I'm glad I am glad I did it. Um, Rocksteady makes the heck out of a video game, and I can't wait to see what they do uh, now that they're putting Batman behind them. Um, lastly, after we uh, discussed World War Z, um, and not shutting up about the book for an hour and a half, um, I decided, you know what? I need to listen to that audiobook again. Um, unfortunately, somehow uh, between my phone and my computer, I cannot find the audiobook that I had downloaded, you know, five years ago. Um, so I went looking for it, and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll buy it or whatever. Uh, I found an unabridged version. The version I had was a thoroughly abridged. It's only about half the novel. It's mostly the most important parts. Um, about uh, two years ago, uh, in advance of World War Z, the film coming out, they released an unabridged audiobook. They had uh, re-recorded, if they recorded a few chapters that had been cut from the audiobook um, and released it as like the Lost Files or something. Um, I'm probably an hour into this unabridged version, and man, it's it's fabulous. Max Brooks is a great narrator, uh, has a great uh, voice, and they got a hell of a voice cast that really tells. I mean, it, it plays like a radio drama. Uh, it's it's 
fabulous to listen to and just reminded me of how good World War Z the novel is in comparison to that mostly lackluster film we talked about last week. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, are you fired up this week? Uh, mildly fired. I learned recently on a comic book podcast that, um, well, half of this podcast was devoted to discussing Archie, then, which I still have yet to pick up, uh, the new re-release version of Archie. Have you? Okay. All right. Well, um, and then they also discussed how Invader Zim is g- now being given the comic book treatment. Um, so that would be that'll be something interesting for me to pick up as well. Also, um, Pauline Kale, uh, the pretty much the namesake of our show, um, since we take this the title, you know, good trash that comes from a quote by her. She actually there is actually a Kickstarter for her a documentary about her life that I've tweeted about through our good trash. Uh, Twitter account, so if you're interested in, in seeing that come to fruition, I certainly am, especially since she's practically our patron saint here. Um, you know, I'd be uh, interested in checking that out. Yeah. Thank you very much for all that. I am fired up about a thing in not a positive way. As we were recording last week on Wednesday, we were getting the uh, news updates about the uh, theater shooting uh, down in Louisiana about Trainwreck, uh, a film that Nick already has mentioned today, and I am fired up in that I just I feel violated, yes. um, and and you know this is just on, yeah. on the heels of uh, the uh, final sentencing or rather conviction of the Aurora film shooter for the Dark Knight um, Rises, and those um, those kind of things just make me insane. I mean, they really just set my hair on fire, and I'm just I'm tired of this. Uh, movies are magic, and they're wonderful things. And the one thing that that film does is it creates a communal experience among strangers. And for someone to come in and violate that is just something that disturbs me so terribly. And one thing I said before, and I'll say it again, never, ever let fear win, dear listener. I hope this um, event does not dissuade you from going to the movies because I think one of the great hopes humanity has is that we choose to enjoy entertainments together. And by doing those sort of things together, I think there is a magic that happens in that moment. And uh, let's not allow that sort of thing to dissuade us from doing one of the most important things, I think, as, an, as a culture, especially American culture, uh, that we can possibly do. So I'm fired up, but not in the most positive way. But that is just something I've been thinking about a lot over the last couple of days. And there you go, dear listener. Now you know what we're all fired up about this week. Uh, next week's film, um, we're going to begin a new series. I'm so excited. We've been talking about this marathon literally since December of last year. Yep. The title is You Don't Know Jack, and the films are going to be all films with the word Jack in them in some <laughs> so way, happy. shape, or form. And uh, next week's film is going to be Jack Creature. Jack Reacher is a ghost served in the military police. A brilliant investigator. Troublemaker, too. Then, two years ago, he disappears. You don't find this guy unless he wants to be found. Excuse me, sir. There's a Jack Reacher here to see you. Can I help you? James Barr. You say you shot five people. I don't believe he did. What exactly are you saying? He was framed. What does an army cop do, mostly? What you do. With one minor difference. Every suspect was a trained killer. What do we hope to find? The truth. A soldier is asking questions no one else would ask. Get the lawyer. Helen? 
Do I have to tell you how this works? Do you think I'm a hero? I am not a hero. Lawyer's all yours. On second thought, I'd like to kill you. They want me to run. Then I'm gonna finish this. You're a little rusty, Mr. Rachel. So there you go, dear listener. Now you know what we're going to be taking a look at. In the meantime, take a look at Twister. Take a look at anything. Um, take a look at Jack Creature, which reaches back to one of the oldest jokes on the show. Way back in our Jackie Brown episode, we had this uh, crazy Dobby the House Elf um, Jack Creature thing yeah. going on. Somebody accidentally said Jack. Arthur accidentally said Jack Creature while talking about Jack Reacher, and we riffed on that for about... 20 minutes, maybe five of which actually made it into the show. I mean, I think we talked about that on the hardest laughs we've had when we did our Monty Python yeah, we did. episode. Yeah, yeah. So uh, get ready for this, we- the weirdest marathon we've ever done. You don't know Jack. So there you go, dear listener. Take a look at a film and then have an important conversation about it. Keep going to the movies. Keep watching them at home and having those great conversations. And until then, we'll see you next time. <laughs> Come sweeping down the plain And the waving wheat Can sure smell sweet When the wind comes right behind the rain Oklahoma every night My honey lamb and I Sit alone and talk And watch a hawk Making lazy circles in the sky We know we belong to the land And the land we belong to and when we say no. I am by we're only saying you're doing fine, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, okay. And finally, um, because he is so modest, I just wanted to plug Nick Sanford and how he's won a bunch bunch of fancy things and he's going to a bunch of film festivals and I'm so excited for him and I'm fired up for him. So he can talk to you more about that because he should. Um, Well, uh, Tempest Fugit, which good trash. Thank you for all that, by the way. I'm Mm -hmm. Irish, so it's hard for me to say thank you to compliments. But... um, (laughs) But why would you laugh? That was racist. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> oh, let me start all that over. <laughs> Woo! Boy, it got real dark real quick. Really weird. Oh, boy. All right. So a family walks in to a 
talent agent's office. No. No. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I get it. Um, okay. What the hell is it? Oh, yeah. Tempest Fugit was a film that Good Trash did a live show over in October of 2014. It was really, really cool. It's a 56-minute movie, which is a stupid length for a film. You should never make a film of that length because you can't do anything with it. But we have gotten into some festivals, meaning you'll never be able to sell it. But we have gotten into some festivals. Um, played at the Fort Worth Indie Film Showcase. Last weekend, uh, here in a couple weeks, we're going to the Fly Film Festival in Enid. And then after that, well, there are a couple other festivals that it's been entered into, but they haven't said yes or no if we've gotten in yet. And I definitely don't want to assume uh, one way or another, but um, I have gotten some nominations. I got it got best student film at the fly, at the um, uh, Fort Worth Film Festival. Uh, fly it got nominated for best Oklahoma film. Adam Hampton, the lead, got nominated for best actor. His wife Angelina got nominated for best actress, and I had another screenplay called The Radio Woman uh, that has not been shot. It's just a screenplay, but I entered it. Got nominated for best screenplay, so. That's what I got coming up for that. And I did all this, put it on all these regional festivals because I'm trying to raise money for a movie that I'm hoping to shoot this October. So if there are any rich dentists out there who want to give me money, give me money. We got a Black Hawk down, we got a Black Hawk down, 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 down. Good trash genre cast. So, dead? That's fine. How about alive? Hmm? You wanna know what got these scars? Can you spell it?
D-J-A-N-G-O. The D is silent. I have got to get me one of these. Luke, you're a wolf. What are these? What are you doing with these? Okay, I get it. Who gave you these? Who taught you about these? Learned it from you, okay? I learned it from watching you! If it bleeds, we can kill it. It's your last chance to walk away. Are you kidding? It's five against one. It's two against one. How do you figure? Once I take out the leader, which is you? I'll have to contend with one or two enthusiastic wingmen. Last two guys, I always win. Are you, uh, you've done this before? It's getting late. Remember, you wanted this. <laughs>